This is Christian Questions. There it is. Okay, I got. I hear myself. Michelle de Montaigne once said, Valor is stability, not of legs and arms, but of courage and the soul. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're glad that you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, good morning. What's up? What's happening? And what are we talking about? Good morning, Rick. I love the quote about valor uh, is of courage of the soul. Yeah. That, that, is, that is cool. And today is really going to be talking about a story of great valor. Excellent. Well, our subject, our question is for this morning, what can we learn from Noah? And our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. So it's a story of Noah. There, you know, Jonathan, there's many accounts in the Bible that really run along the, well, let's say, the edge of reality for many of us here today. Think about it. Balaam's donkey talks. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> in the Old Testament, the sun stands still for Joshua in a battle. Whoa. Jesus rises from the dead and goes to heaven. These are fantastic and. To many, these are unbelievable. And then there's the story of Noah. Here's a man about 500 years old who builds a boat to save his family and the animals from a devastating flood. Now that is amazing. So what is there about this story of Noah that rings true for us today? Is his experience a warning for us here and now? And a lot to the story of Noah, Jonathan. A lot to it. There really is, Rick. And I remember we did a long time ago a program and... All different cultures seem to have a thread of understanding about this experience. It may have been described a little differently, but it, it, it's neat to see the history behind culture yeah. remembering this. In, in many, many ancient cultures, there's yeah. a history of a devastating flood. Absolutely. So it, it is a very interesting thing to, to look at that and say, huh, you know, what about that? And, and there, there's a lot of pieces. This story is so big, we're not going to be able to go through it all uh, uh, today. Uh, but uh, we, we're going to do our best to uh, try to put it in, in order. So, folks, we're going to be talking about Noah and the Ark and really going to be focusing on who Noah was and what he did and why he did it and the interactions he had with God and the, the amazing character that is shown uh, of Noah himself. Now, to get started, uh, what we want to do is we want to play uh, just part of a, one of the, a movie trailer from the movie Noah that came out last year in 2013. Okay. Uh, did you see the movie? We did not. No. Uh, we did. And, and actually, I'm going to have Trish come in here and, and talk about it for a few minutes uh, with me. But uh, fascinating thing. But let, let's just sort of get ourselves in the mood for the story of Noah and the Ark by listening to part of the, uh, one of the movie trailers. How about some volume there, brother? father said that one day, if man continued in his ways, the creator would annihilate this world. It will not be averted. He speaks to you. 
You must trust that he speaks in a way that you can understand. I saw water. Death by water. That's our new life. A great flood is coming. We build a vessel to survive the storm. We build an ark. So much more dramatic with music, <laughs> for sure. So, anyway, just before we get started with the actual biblical account, biblical account of, of Noah, let's uh, just talk uh, just for a, a couple of minutes about the, the movie account of Noah. My wife, Trish, is here. She's our call screener, folks, incidentally, so when you call in and, and you hear that wonderful voice on the other side of the uh, line, it's my dear wife. So, Trish, you and I went to see the movie. Yes, we did. What was your impression of the movie Noah? It was a great sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? It was just, well, it was a fun movie. I liked the movie, um, but don't go go to it thinking it's biblical. Um, they do get the fact that there's a creator, and that was actually refreshing because <laughs> okay. there was a, they acknowledged that there was a creator and that... And evil, Noah's name is correct. Yeah, and that uh, God, this creator, had to take care of all the evil in the world, so that was good. Yeah. Besides that, that was it. And actually, if and you well, no, 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 he built an ark. He did. He did build an ark. Okay. No, no, not just he. There are some other things. Those that helped him. If you go there to see it as biblical, you'll actually find it rather funny because there's some <laughs> characters in the movie that are just comical to compare to the scriptures. So. All right. So, so you heard it. The movie critic, my, <laughs> giving us a sense of of the movie Noah. It was it was a fun movie to watch. But please don't go there with expectations of 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 seeing biblical uh, story unfold before you, because it really is a sci-fi story unfolding before you that has some kind of basis in biblical reality. So, Trish, thanks for that. <laughs> so, Jonathan, with that said, um, now I'm not discouraging anybody from going to see the movie, but just. Focus your expectations, that's all. There you go. I mean, just, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. So, let's get to the biblical account of Noah. Let's start with Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. Alright, so that's a very simple statement to get us started. Now remember, this is in the center of man's sin and the consequences of that sin. Remember, Adam sinned and, and you know, cast out of the garden. Right. And this is quite some time later, maybe, you know, let's say maybe, um, you know, a thousand years or more later. So you had a lot of time going on. Of course, people live a very long time back then. Oh, that's right. Okay, so this is also in context of the things that God did not take away. Remember, you know, he took away mankind from the garden. Right. But there are some things he didn't take away from mankind. Such as? Well, let's read Genesis one twenty-eight, and that'll help us understand what he didn't take away. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So that dominion, God, when he cursed man, he didn't undo the dominion. They, were, they had dominion. So the question here is, well, what did man do with his dominion over the earth? Which means they're in charge of everything, right? Right. Okay. right. So right. God did not take that away. So let's go a little bit further into verse 2 of Genesis 6. That the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. All right. So here we have, you know, we're just starting to tell the story, and just in the second verse... You have something come up that's very, very unusual. It's a strange way of writing here. Yes. Who were these sons of God? It says, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. So who were these sons of God? Well, 
there's different perspectives on this. Okay. And but our perspective is that these sons of God were explained to us uh, in other areas of Scripture. So let's go to those other scriptures. Second Peter chapter two, verse four. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tartaru, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, it talks about spared not angels that sinned. And in the Genesis account, it says that they these guys are sons of God. Notice they're not called angels in the Genesis account, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're called just sons of God. They're, I think there's a reason for that. Okay. Um, well, so what it looks like was happening is these sons of God, these these spiritual creatures, were now dabbling in the lives of mankind of their own accord, according to their own desires, and they were no longer messengers of God. Interesting. See now, in the word angel, we we think about we think all spirit beings are angels. It's not necessarily true. The word angel, what does that mean? Um, the word angel. Means messenger. Yeah, that's right. So sure. an angel is a messenger. The word for angel is used as mes- human messengers as well in the scriptures. That's right. So these angels were sent as messengers of God, but they started to do things that were not delivering God's message, and they lost their title as messenger, and now they're just simply called sons of God. Interesting. So I think that, that that's part of the, the language that we're dealing with here in, in these particular verses uh, in, in Genesis. And Second Peter 2.4 backs that up. Also Jude chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 is going to back that up. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about the story of Noah. We're talking about the players, if you will, in this story. And uh, you know, if you saw the movie Noah, I'd be curious to hear what your, your thoughts were. Our number is 866-985-4255. Five, five, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page. On our blog, go to ChristianQuestions.com. So we have that Second Peter 2.4 that talks about angels that had sinned, and God put them in, in chains of darkness, essentially. He restrained them. Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 also talks about something very, very similar. And angels... Now, this is how they started out, as angels. Who did not keep their own dominion, but abandoned their proper abode. So you see, that's where we get the idea that they became now known as just sons of God, because they didn't keep their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, notice, it's interesting. It doesn't say they're being tortured. Right. But they're being restrained. They're being held back. And this is written in the New Testament. Okay, they're not disposed of or even punished, right? Right, right. They're, they're kept, they're reserved for a future judgment. And that reminds me of the First Corinthians 6, 3, the church in heaven under Jesus will judge angels. And these are the angels that would be judged. So really what you're saying is that some of the wrongdoing mm-hmm. of the time of the flood, the true church in heaven in the future will have a say in in, in judging over those things. Yes, under Jesus. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, Jonathan, the, the story of Noah is so big that there's a lot of prophetic aspects to it. We just can't get to them today. So we're going to do a part two sometime down the road. Excellent. That we're going to go back and revisit all of the prophetic parts, and, and, and these things will be added in then in much more detail. And we often talk about Sodom and Gomorrah as a, a parallel um, story with this to right. gain lesson. And why do we do that? Because the scriptures do that. As a matter of fact, read the next verse in Jude chapter 1, read verse 7. 
Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So, this really helps us get what happened in Genesis, because the Sodom and Gomorrah story is brought up and the two are put together mm-hmm. in, in the book of Jude. Right. So here, here's the key. Just as the sons of God, quote, sons of God that was spoken of in Genesis, sought after the daughters of men. Remember, uh, that's what the Genesis scripture said. Yes. That was not natural. That no, was That's unnatural. Right. Because they were spirit beings going after human beings. That's, that's a mixture that God never authorized. Uh, so they, in this unnatural desire, it's not at all under God. Those in Sodom did the same. Ah. They were seeking to know, in a biblical sense, those those angels, those messengers. Okay, so you you have you have this similarity, and Jude brings out that the same kind of thing happened, and that's what gives us the authority to look back on the Genesis account and say, okay. That's what these sons of God are. That's what it means for them to be sons of God. So just like Satan, these evil spirits are being are, are, are dismissed from God's light and sent to darkness. Remember these 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 chains of darkness. Yes, but they still have great power. The difference and being, influence. Yes, yes, their power can no longer access godly righteousness. It can only draw from satanic influence, and that's bad influence. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's oh, uh, you know, that's uh, you know, when when you want to draw the, a line between light and dark and good and bad, you, you're on the bad side. Yeah. So here, I mean, we we've read. I mean, there's chapters that we have to go through this morning. We've read two verses in Genesis. We're almost done with our first segment, so we have to get down to our first Noah lesson. So, what is the first lesson here, Jonathan? When there is extreme sin. And degrading of the will of God, there rises an extreme need for cleansing and deliverance. God looks for those who will obey to the extreme. Noah walked with God. Do you? So, here's the thing. The, the lesson is that when things go extremely wrong, God always has a plan. Now, not, maybe not at that moment, depending on the time of, uh, within his, his, his larger plan, but God always has a plan to bring the extreme wrong back to right. And he always calls upon those who will obey him to the extreme. So the story of Noah is a story of extremity. It's a story, a story of extreme darkness and evil and a story of extreme righteousness. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? Coming up, did God actually regret creating men? And who are the Nephilim? Yeah, I said Nephilim. Yeah, you said what? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. 
So, Jonathan, we're going to go through the story of Noah this morning and just try to pick out some highlights of what we can learn from Noah and, and really look at, and, and I look at this story in awe. First of all, just the, not only the natural events that happened, but, but the, the, the events in terms of Noah and his righteousness and what he did and what he stood for. Stood against evil. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and how, you know, the odds were, talk about bad odds. I mean, it's, it's one man against you know, the existing population at that point in time. Yes, yes. So, as we develop this again, folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear your, your perspective on the story of Noah, the movie Noah, whatever. Um, again, our number, 866-985-4255. Let's get into a little further into Genesis, Jonathan, and begin to take this apart a little bit, a little bit more. We know that the angels were messengers of God who were interacting with humankind but stopped doing it in a godly fashion. And evil was utterly rampant. And Genesis three, uh, 6, rather, verses 3 to 8, will break it up in pieces. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. And, see, and you look at that and you say, what does that mean? That, admittedly, to me, that's a little bit of a confusing verse. It is. Because I think it can mean two different things, or it can mean both. I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. But let's take a look at a couple of different translations on that verse to help us see if we can get our arms around it. Genesis 6-3 from the Leeser translation. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive for the sake of man, for that he is but flesh. Yet his days of grace shall be 120 years. So that says his days of grace kind of indicates that I'm going to give it 120 years before I stop this thing. Mm, it does sound that Because it adds that phrase, the days of grace. Now, read the Lamsa translation, Genesis 6.3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not dwell in man forever, because he is flesh. Let his days be 120 years. So, let his days be 120 years. That almost sounds like it's saying, I am now going to change the lifespan of man to be much, much, much shorter and to sort of max out, if you will, at 120 years. Okay. Now, which is right? I don't know. I think both are, actually. Because the life expectancy changed dramatically after the flood. Right. Wow. Right. Noah lived for, for, I don't know, a hundred and something years after the flood, but everybody afterwards lived a much, much shorter life. Exactly. That's okay. a good point. So, but it also looks like God gave ample time. It says his days of grace in that one translation. I like that. Give us a sense that, okay, God was being gracious in his plan to destroy everything mm-hmm. and giving it enough time. Um, and... and you say, well, how is God being gracious? Well, let's look at Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others. And when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, it talks about preserving um, Noah, and he calls him a preacher of righteousness. And that, mm-hmm. to me, that is a very, very, very significant title, if you will, that Noah was given sure. as this preacher of righteousness. And I'm sure that influence would have really affected his family. Yes. His three sons and, and daughter-in-laws. Right. Because, you know, they were with him in, through this whole period of time of building the ark. Mm-hmm. So, they, you know, if, 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 they were, uh, if they were as dark and evil as the rest of the world, they, they wouldn't have hung around. Right. Why, why would you do that? The man's crazy. You know, from the worldly perspective, right, sure, right, sure, right. And well, but you know, here that's the interesting thing. I'm glad you added that because if you're truly a Christian, a lot of times the world looks at you and say you're crazy. Exactly. And but are you, or are you following something higher? That's the story of Noah. 
It's about following something higher. So let's get back to Genesis chapter 6. Let's go to verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who are of old, men of renown. So it says the Nephilim were on the earth. What is a Nephilim? It's a bully, a tyrant, a giant. Okay, and that's literally what the word means. It is. A bully or a tyrant. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a giant, uh, I think, not only from the standpoint of a physical, but, but mental. Okay, in a other mi- words. A mixture of angelic and human. Yeah. It, this it, is a hybrid Right. This is Creature. a this is this is a, a a mutation that should not be is what it is. And But it's interesting, Rick. Greek mythology is based on some truth. Men of renown. If you if you look at Greek mythology, you see evidences of what's being talked about here. Hercules. What is Hercules the 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 product of? A god and a woman. You got it. And so Isn't that interesting? You have the basis for those stories right here in the book of Genesis. That's where the idea actually came from. Men of renown. So now we know that these this offspring of these 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 unsanctioned uh, unions were destroyed in the flood. That's right. Okay, well let's read Numbers chapter 13 verse 33. Um, oh okay, you know what? Let's before we read that. Uh, let's go to a soundbite uh, from and this is this is old Jonathan. This is we're going to be frequently going to some music from Wendy Talbot. Uh, she is a gospel singer from years and years and years and years ago. Very inspiring. And she actually had, there were like four songs that she had that, that created a ballad of the story of Noah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to drop in on those songs and she's going to help us tell the story. This was from the song entitled, The Sorrow of God. It's it's interesting, you know. She 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 talks about these mighty men. Their hearts were cold. Their minds were filled with sin, and uh, his beloved creation has turned his joy to pain. And that's where it was. That's what had happened in those days. God was pained by what his creation had wrought. Yes. And it's just it's such a sad, sad story. So she's going to, again, help us tell the story throughout the, our program this morning. Uh, Numbers 13.33. Remember, Nephilim were destroyed in the flood. We know that. That's right. Okay. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. So the word for giants there is what? Nephilim. So we just said they were destroyed in the flood. And, and yet, this is later on in Numbers? This is much, 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 much later on. And you're saying... How can that be? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> How could that be? And let's look at the context of this verse because 
we have to understand uh, what is actually really being said here. So we're going to read that verse again, Jonathan, but we're going to add the verse before. So Numbers 13, 32 and 33. And remember, this is when the spies of Israel went into Canaan. Okay. Remember, there are 12 spies that went in. Right, right. And they all came back. With a different report. Right. Joshua and Caleb came back saying, we can do this, we can take this land. And the other ten spies came back saying, what, are you crazy? Did you see those guys? <laughs> right, right. right. You know, so, so, let's, so this is part of their report, uh, 32 and 33. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of the Anarch were part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So they're saying we saw Nephilim there, and now Nephilim would have been passed down generation to generation, the story of Nephilim as, as these, these hybrids. Oh, yeah. Everyone okay. would have known and so, from the experience of the flood. But here, here's how they describe it. They describe it, it says, this is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now, we know that it doesn't devour its inhabitants. What they're saying is, they're too big, they're too strong, they're too mighty for us. We can't do anything about it. Well, how do we know that that's a picture? Because how do they describe themselves? We're like grasshoppers. Okay, that's how you know. They're saying, they're like Nephilim, we're like grasshoppers. You're not literally a grasshopper. <laughs> Game over. That's what they're saying. Don't even start because it's like, you know what it's like? What? They probably went into the land and it would be like standing me next to somebody like Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. And you say, okay, these guys are going to go one-on-one. Oh, and then you just laugh my. and you say... <laughs> Ah, uh, grasshopper. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So it was exaggeration. It was exaggeration. The verses show the exaggeration. So because the Nephilim were destroyed right. in the flood. Right. But the the mem- remembrance of them. Oh yeah, the lived on. Sure. And, and that's significant because it's a lesson for us in remembering the darkness of evil as God brings righteousness. It's always got to be happening. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. Well, Rick, that reminds me of fear distorts our ability to see reality. Right. And doesn't fe- it? And fear makes the thing that we're afraid of bigger than it really is. You're right. And that's right. human nature. That's true. So that's that's the explanation there. So let's get back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jonathan, this paints... That's a sad it, it, state. It's awful when you think about it. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. There's no way out of that explanation. That's how dark it became. That's how miserable humanity became in walking away from God. So what happens? Let's go to uh, verse... uh, That was verse 5, I'm sorry. Let's go to verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. So the question comes up, okay, was God really sorry that he, he had made man? I mean, it says he was grieved to his heart. I mean, this, this, 
it, 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 it paints a picture of such a divergence away from godliness. And you'd say, well, how could it have gotten that bad? Did, did Satan win? Well, and it looked like Satan did win, didn't it? It, it does. Because these, these, these mighty men of renown were the offspring of the ambassadors of God that were able to actually communicate with humanity. Right. And they weren't supposed to cohabitate, though. That, that just no. was against the... the Look, you you don't combine natures, nature. right? You yeah. don't combine natures. You're either one or another. Uh, let's go back to Wendy Talbot and just about the part of uh, this is from the song "The Sorrow of God" about God's spirit being grieved. That's a sad statement. Oh, it is. For God to say and such a thing. you feel it. Yes. With, with the way she tells a story. So, when it says he repented, God repented that he made man. He sighed. He breathed strongly to be sorry or to pity. So, so you know, that sigh, that, oh, that that's, I think, what, what is ex- expressing. Oh, yeah. When it says his spirit it was grieved, what does that mean? To worry, pain, or anger. So, there's great pain in, in God's view of mankind at this point in time. And that's the lesson here. It's the pain of the creation going so far away because of evil influences, but because of their choices as well. That's right. That's right. So, and when it says, my spirit shall contend with man no more, just very quickly, I think what that means is that I will no longer, and this is speculation on my part, I, I think what it means is I will no longer send my angels to dwell among men as advisors. Because what happened is some of those angels put away their advisory role and, and dabbled in the lives of mankind instead of just advised them. So I think that's what it means, my spirit is grieved. But what's the final part of this verse? There's some hope here, Rick. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And that is where we have to begin to really focus. You have a dark picture, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? Coming up, how does Noah know what he's supposed to do? Do we know what we are supposed to do? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. 
That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And this would be a great program to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. You really want to do that? It's available exclusively at ChristianQuestions.com. It's a free service. It takes each two-hour program that we do every Sunday morning, breaks it down, puts it into a PDF file format, graphics, illustrations, and it gives you something to look at and read along with listening. That's right. And it comes to you via email uh, link each and every week. Only Sign- at ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to get the Christian Questions app for your smartphone. Go oh, to your yeah. app store, type in Christian Questions, it, download it. It's free. It's free. And follow us on Twitter while you're at it, too. So, all right, Jonathan, let's get back to this. We left off. Noah uh, uh, was, what was it, was righteous? In the, w- Noah found favor found- in the eyes of the Lord. So let's continue with verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So it's interesting because the way that reads, it's almost like you think that Noah didn't even have his three sons at this point in time. You're right. So you're thinking... Now that's interesting. Yeah. Now I'm not positive about that, but it sure sounds like they were born... After God told Noah that the world was going to be destroyed. And to build the ark yeah, with so, his sons, yeah, which so, he hasn't had yet. Right. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. It is. Noah lived his righteousness. And what a huge, huge lesson for us. Do we today. Right. Do we, in the midst of darkness and evil, stand up and live our righteousness the way Noah did Back then. Second Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So, there's a standing up that needs to happen. God calls in extreme times. God calls for extreme action from those who will, are willing to take an extreme stance. Yes. You know, are we going to be there to stand the way Noah did? That's a real question. And that word uh, hell is tartaro, um, which is cast down to the atmosphere. Uh, it's not under the earth in flame. It, it's, and right. It's in darkness. It's, it's in darkness. It's, it's, exactly. It's reserved. Uh, being held for a future judgment. All right, let's continue uh, Genesis 6. Let's go to verses uh, 11, and t- 11 to 13. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. So God's observations are repeated here, telling us how utterly obvious the evil was. You see how often it's repeated how corrupt the earth was? Yes. It's repeated again and again, and the people were corrupt, and the earth was corrupt, and it was evil only continually again and again and again it's being spoken of. Uh, Psalm 11.5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence... His soul hates. So again, it's a matter of what do you stand for? Because if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And the world at that time was dark and evil. And folks, the world today... Oh, it's a picture perfect. Same thing. It's dark and evil. And we're going to develop the prophetic side of the story of Noah and the ark and a program to come in the future. Uh, Right now, we're really focusing on Noah uh, and his his righteousness and the things that he did. Let's go back to Wendy Talbot. Uh, This is another song she has... three or four songs in a row that just told the story. So this is uh, her song, He Was a Righteous Man, and again, God's communication with Noah in song. And the Lord 
So you have, and, and again, it gives you the drama of what must have happened. Build me an ark. Go do this. And so let's continue in those verses, uh, and we'll go to the phones after we go through this next section of verses. Genesis 6, verses 14 to 16. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in it on the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So basically, to translate the cubit thing, it's approximately 450 feet long. That's a football field and a half. Wow. 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Special instructions, very special instructions for special, very special deliverance. Three different floors, decks within, the, within this structure. You know, what does God want from us? God wants obedience. He wants us to be focused on doing his will. Just one quick scripture that will go to the phones. Micah 6, 6 through 8. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow be- myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, Jonathan, that typifies Noah in his time. It really does. It typifies who Noah was and what he did. Do do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. And to walk humbly with God means to listen to and follow through on what God tells us to do. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. And we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, You just uh, read the scripture, Rick, uh, uh, Micah 6, 8. Yes. Yeah, to walk humbly with with your God. And uh, the overall thing here, uh, picture as I see it, you know, yesterday I was reflecting on compassion. What is compassion? Who has compassion? Where is their compassion? And our God personifies compassion. John 3.16, how he loves uh, his creatures. Uh, The scripture in uh, Genesis 6 there, one of the thoughts that comes to mind is that our God is not mechanical. He has feelings. Yeah. Yeah, good point. He, he, I guess he personifies the the, the 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 height of love and compassion, and so uh, incidentally, uh, uh, cross reference to uh, walking with God, uh, Amos three three. How can two uh, walk together lest they agree? What a wonderful man Noah! To what a what a, a tribute to him that he walked with God means meaning very brief. He was in harmony with our God. You know, uh, uh, just quickly, I think one day uh, Noah's Ark will be a museum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think uh, he's uh, uh, going to be a lot uh, in the resurrection. I believe people will come back. Uh, a lot of people are going to ask Adam questions, but I think Noah is going to be in line, too, to be asked a lot of questions. <laughs> I think so. Thanks. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Take care. Bye. And, you know, Julius brought up an important point. You know, God is a God of God personifies compassion. And let's understand that the resurrection for all mankind includes those who were destroyed in the flood. But but you see this destruction, you think, you know, yeah, is how, he? Yeah, how, how could God be compassionate? Exactly. Look at that. But that's not the end of the story. 
And that's one of the big things. Again, when we do the prophetic end of dealing with all of this, we're going to get into that much more. So, Julius, thanks so much for that. Jonathan, let's go back to Wendy Talbot about building the ark and the, the long, tedious effort that it must have taken for years and years and years. Jonathan, that really captures some of the the, the, the difficulty that Noah, Noah would have faced. I mean, look, he, you had to get the wood, you had to have the plants, you had to, and it's year after year after year after year. Can you imagine the people staring and saying, "What are you doing?" Can you imagine, you idiot? You know, you know well, the, you know the interesting thing. You know, Julius says, you know, in the resurrection, he believes the ark will be a museum. Uh-huh. Noah was a living museum at that point in time. Oh, he was. When you think a about spectacle. it, right? People would have come and said, "You heard about this guy? Look, he's over there. He's building this this structure that he claims is going to be a boat because he claims there's going to be a great flood and it's all going to be destroyed. Look at him. There's no water in sight, <laughs> and." Oh, how they must have mocked him, and, yeah. and, and just and, and looked at him with, with such disdain. Let's go back to Genesis chapter six. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. See, it's repeated again how bad things are. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of the flesh you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourselves some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. All right, and Matt, let's go back to the uh, to, to Wendy Talbot one more time for this segment. Uh, again, the song, He Was a Righteous Man.
So the story goes on. It's, he's building and building until at last the time is going to arrive. The interesting, the important thing here, Jonathan, is God gives promise in those verses you just read. Yes, he does. He's a God of promise, just like the promise in Genesis 22, 18, and your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. That obviously happened after the flood. And it's because you obeyed my voice. Right, and that's the key. And let's finish verse 20, 22 of Genesis 6. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. That encapsulates the power of obedience to God and the power of the life of Noah. So our second Noah lesson is real simple. To walk with God is to do all that he commands, for he is a God of life. God preserved life through the flood. Yes, there was a lot of destruction to be rectified in the future, but God preserved life because God is a God of life. Noah followed the God of life and was a man of righteousness. How are we doing in our lives? Folks, we'll be back in the second hour to continue the story. The flood is coming. What does Noah do? How does he act? How does he react? And what are the lessons? For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, what can we learn from Noah? We'll be back soon, but till then, think about it. is Christian Questions. Publius Flavius Vegetius Renatus. That's a who? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Anyway, he said something very important. He said, Valor is superior to number. Ooh, Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we have a really fascinating subject on the table this morning. We really do, Rick. And our question is, what can we learn from Noah? And our theme text is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. And we're in the first hour, we talked about Noah being a righteous man in an unrighteous world. Yes. And we talked about how some of the angels who were working with humankind on the earth left their first estate, left their, their uh, angelic stand. As messengers of God. And just became known as sons of God because they, they, they stepped outside of delivering God's messages. And they began to cohabitate with the women. They interfered with God's plans. And created this hybrid race, which were called Nephilim, yeah. uh, which didn't belong. Right, which and, overpowered humanity. And drove humanity toward dark and evil ways. And humanity, of course, followed along. Even right. though you had God's messengers still around, humanity followed evil and darkness. And so the, the flood was uh, getting ready to come, and God found Noah a righteous man in the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. And so we are at the point where he's built the ark, and the flood is about to happen. Uh, so before we get back into the story, let's just take a quick moment, and let's go back to one of the movie trailers, a part of a movie tra trailer from... 2013 movie Noah start starring Russell Crowe yes and folks I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Trish and I went to see it and I will just to, to, to tell you just very quickly if you're going to see the movie if you want to rent it or something and you're expecting a biblical story don't because <laughs> you won't find it <laughs> no you'll find um, 
little tiny pieces of the biblical story. But it's a, it's a fun movie. I really enjoyed the movie, but it's a science fiction movie. Gotcha. Okay? It's got an arc. It's got a guy named Noah, and it's got a creator, and it's got a lot of bad people. And that's where the similarities end. <laughs> gotcha. All right, let's listen to just this trailer to put us back in the mood. When I heard talk of miracles, I dismissed them. But then I saw the birds with my own eyes, and I had to come. There isn't anything for you here. <laughs> this all belongs to me. This land, this forest. That stronghold of yours. Did you really think you could protect yourself from me in that? It's not protection from you. Then what is it? An ark. To hold the innocent when the Creator sends his deluge to wipe out the wicked from this world. Return to your cities of Cain! No, we have all been judged! I have men at my back, and you stand alone and defy me. I'm not alone. And, and it's great drama, you know, and, you know, you have a, sort of a sense that, you know, there may have been some kind of interchanges like that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Noah being willing to say, I'm not alone. Now, now the way he, he finds his defense in the movie is really outrageous, but hey, it's a movie. Okay. And, and, you know, it says, go back to your cities of Cain. In the movie, he's talking to uh, Tubal Cain, who is, was known in those days as being a fashioner of weapons. And so they took that 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 biblical individual and they made him to be Noah's a nemesis. I see. Okay, so just that's a little bit of the history there. Okay. Anyway, a fun movie, not really biblical but really fun. Okay, how's that? So let's go back to the actual account of Noah and the flood, Genesis chapter 7 verses 1 through 24. We're going to break the, we'll read some selected verses here and break it up throughout the segment. Then the Lord said to Noah, "Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time." You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and a female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. For after seven more years I will send seven rain. Seven more days. I'm sorry, thank you. Seven more days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. So now comes the time of gathering up the animals and putting them on the ark. And uh, it, ta- it says seven more days and the rain is going to come. So what it looks like here is the entrance to the ark is now open. Right. It's open for service. Mm-hmm. And, and all these animals are coming to it. Right. And two by two. Or by sevens, the, the clean animals. Right. Right. So you have that happening. And a, a God obviously has engineered this. Now, what a sight that must have been oh, to yeah. the people around. Absolutely. To, to see these animals just coming from all over and just, just docile and, and obediently going into this big, massive, 450-foot-long structure that this man Noah and his family built over probably 100, 120 years. Yeah, that's amazing. So... You, the entrance to the ark is open. There's seven days left before the rain. This is the last call to life. This is when either you live through the deluge or you are destroyed in it. Seven days is all that's left. Zephaniah two three. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Again, that's a great pro- prophetic scripture looking at not the time of Noah, because this scripture happened long after the time of Noah, but to the future. And where are we? Are we seeking righteousness? Are we seeking God's will to perhaps be hidden in a time of great anger as well? 
Verse 5 from Genesis 7. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And again, you have, when it says Noah was a righteous man, that to me is the definition of what a righteous man is. Obedience. Right. You do all that the Lord commands you to do. Yep. That's it. It doesn't have to be glorious. It doesn't have to be advertised. You just do all that the Lord commands you to do. Hebrews 11.7 describes Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he commanded the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So Noah is spoken of as an heir of righteousness, an inheritor of righteousness according to faith because he reverently prepared the ark for salvation. And again, it was God's idea, it was God's command, and it was Noah who followed what God had said. Do we have his integrity in our life? Folks, if you have a thought, we'd love to hear from you on having that godly integrity in our lives, on the story of Noah and the drama taking place, 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay. Let's get back to Genesis chapter 7. Let's go verses uh, 6 through 13. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife... 600 years old. ...and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month... On the seventeenth day of that month, on the same day, all the fountains of the deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. And the Lord closed it behind him. So it literally gives the exact day that they entered the ark. And again, it was after the seven days. So, you know, you have the gathering process going on for these seven days. And so now the family goes in and it says the Lord closed the door behind them. Yes. So, you know, the, the phrase signed, sealed and delivered. Yeah. That takes on a whole <laughs> different level of meaning right here. I'm telling you. You know what? This, it, this was a signature event of God. He sealed the door so they could be delivered. That's what this is. Let's go back to uh, just uh, uh, part of the, the song from Wendy Talbot, He Was a Righteous Man, about this last event before the rains come. And I love I love the, the 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 visual effect. The Lord God reached down His mighty hand and closed the door. And it, it's just showing you God's blessing was upon them. God's protection was upon them in a day of darkness and evil. And there was there was a long time where the world could have observed and changed their ways, but they didn't. They were so dark that there was no possibility for them. Because they would not allow righteousness in. It would, they were locked out 
as a result. And now they're literally locked out. Psalm 91, verses 1 to 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. I will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. So Psalm 91 is a great psalm we're going to come back to it in a few minutes that really helps to put in perspective the protective covering of God, not just with the ark, but with ourselves today, here and now, trying to stand for righteousness in a very unrighteous world. And Jonathan, we, we're, we're going through these lessons of Noah. We had the first two lessons in the first hour. What's, what's the, the, the third lesson? Do the work, endure the persecution, and let God Almighty seal your salvation. And that's a hard lesson. Because Noah worked for a long, 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 long time. Yes. Building this ark and endured tons of persecution as he was doing this, undoubtedly. And yet he remained a preacher of righteousness. He remained focused. He did what God told him to do. He did the work. And it took forever. And, you know, you wonder if he ever doubted during that whole period of time. I wonder if this is really going to happen. I mean, and I've been spending, I spent the last 47 years working on this. I'm not even halfway done. And, you know, that's a, that's a lot of my life here. Even yeah. for a guy who lived 600 years, 47 years is a, is a big chunk. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, but he did it, and God sealed his salvation as a result. What happens? The flood comes. Let's pick up uh, Genesis 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. Of all that was in the dry land, all of whose nostrils was the breath, and of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So this, this is a cataclysmic, dramatic event. And, you know, when they, when they talk about dramatic events of biblical proportion, you know, you hear that phrase sometimes in our society today. This is one of those dramatic events of biblical proportion. This is such a massive, massive, massive uh, deluge that it's hard to even get your arms around it. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting, and we'll, we'll see how our time goes in terms of, you know, how did the flood actually really happen? I don't know. I, I really don't know. All I know is that if the scriptures say it happened, it did. And there, there, there. Someday we'll know what the natural uh, uh, aspects of the flood actually were, you know. And we'll know how it all happened because people say, "Well, wait, couldn't it happen? Where did all the water go?" There's many theories. Right? Yes, right? yeah, yeah. There are, there are, and we, we, we may, if we have time, touch on on one of those theories uh, in in the next segment. Psalm ninety one seven eleven and twelve. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Doesn't that just sound like the story of Noah? 
in, in, it does. in a very in a very sort of prophetic kind of sense. Now again, the story of Noah happened long before the psalm was written, but you see the thread of care that God gives to those who are righteous. And not only to Noah, but for us yes. today. Well, and we know that that psalm you know, was directly uh, related to Jesus himself. That's right. And it also relates to us as followers of Jesus. So now we get on to our fourth Noah lesson. What is it? Dwell in the hands of God's protection through the times of turbulence, uncertainty, and death. So when the times are so bad and so difficult and you just don't know which end is up, that is where we dwell in the hands of God's protection. That's what Noah did. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, our subject this morning. What can we learn from Noah? Coming up. So, how long were they in the ark? And what kind of birds did Noah use to find land? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And if you would like to tweet us, you can tweet us at CQNetRadio. And, uh, folks, we would encourage you to, uh, to follow us on Twitter and uh, sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. That is available exclusively at ChristianQuestions.com. Uh, and it, like us on Facebook. Yeah, you know, like th- that's, a, that's kind of a cool thing. A lot of great interaction happens through Facebook. Yes. And so, folks, we'd love for you to uh, check us out there and, and, and like us and so forth. I, that's, just a, that's just a strange phrase. Will you like me on Facebook? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, whenever I say that, I feel weird. I don't know. I don't understand it. But anyway, let's get back to Noah, shall we? Yes, we shall. <laughs> That's really what this is about. So the flood comes, the rain comes, and it is a massive, massive deluge. Let's go back to Wendy Talbot. Uh, This song is, we're going to take a little piece of the song called The Storm. And again, it gives you a sense of what the flood actually was. There, Jonathan, it just it, it it's it, beautiful. It it takes me. It was a flood of anger. It was a rain of tears. It was a spring of renewal. It was a sea of grace for Noah. All of God's beloved will walk above the waves. 
and it gives you that the picture of Peter and Jesus walking oh, yes, on the water. Absolutely. And the, the, the ark was upon the water. And it gives you a sense of that's how salvation works. It lifts you up above all of those things that are being destroyed. Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. Again, we'll break it up through this segment. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. So you have a lot of things happening. It talks about this wind coming and all of things changing, but, you know, 150 days... Five months. Yeah, that's, wow. a, that's a long time to be sitting in that boat with all those animals <laughs> and uh, no place else to go. Where are you going today? I don't know, the other end of the ark. <laughs> what did you do yesterday? I don't know. I went to the other end of the ark. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, cleaned up a lot. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So, uh, you know, it gives you a sense that y- you have to have that, that, that fortitude to stay with it because deliverance sometimes is not easy. Uh, Luke twenty-one seventeen and 18. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance will gain your lives. So by our endurance, our lives can be gained. And, and that's what this, this story of Noah is telling us, is the story of great, deep endurance doing the will of God, even though it's very difficult. Jonathan, I want to take a moment here and just diverge for, for a couple uh, uh, sound bites and look at one of the many theories of how this flood happened. Now, this is just a theory. Do I believe it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I really don't know. If you ask me how it happened, I'm going to tell you I don't know. But this is fascinating. This is one of the theories. It's called the hydroplate uh, theory. You found this on YouTube. Uh, the, the, the title was The Global Flood. So, Matt, let's go to this next uh, soundbite here. Before the flood, about half the Earth's water was in interconnected chambers about 10 miles below the Earth's surface. This formed a thin spherical shell, almost a mile thick. The pressure in the subterranean chamber had been increasing for centuries because the gravity of the sun and moon produced tides in the subterranean water that lifted and lowered the Earth's massive crust twice a day. This tidal pumping added gigantic amounts of of energy to the subterranean water. This increasing pressure in the subterranean water steadily stretched the crust as as a balloon stretches when the pressure inside increases. Failure in the crust began as a microscopic crack that grew in both directions at almost three miles per second. So, you know, it sounds a little bit almost fantastic, but it's kind of an interesting thought. Sure. That you have this water deep, 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 deep below the surface because it says, you know, the, 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 the fountains of the deep were opened. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? And he's saying, you know, here's a it's way coming to... coming from below. Right, as okay. well as from above. From above, right. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Let's go back. We'll, we'll do one more soundbite on that in a minute, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 8, pick up with verse 4, 4 through 7. In the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the tenth month, and in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made, and he sent a raven, and it would fly here and there until the water was dried from upon the earth. So, you know, in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day, you know, the, the ark comes to rest, and then it's another three months, you know, of, of waiting. So, you know, you think, whoa, land ho! 
and then you wait for another 90 days before you can even think about anything. Wow. So, you know, there's this perseverance that has to be in place there. It's interesting why he sent forth the raven. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown come, has, a, has a very interesting comment on that. And he sent forth a raven. The smell of Charon would allure it to remain if the earth were in a habitable state. But it kept hovering about the spot and being a solitary bird probably perched on the covering. Because the ark had a covering over it. And so it's saying you know, it, it, it didn't come back into the ark, kind of you know, flew here, here and there, but always came back. Because mm-hmm. there's really no place yet for it to go. Let's take another minute. Let's go back to uh, the hydroplate theory because he talked about the 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 uh, this this under 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 the crust of the earth water with the pressure just kind of like exploding out. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go back to that. And folks, in the meantime, if you have a thought on the on the flood on Noah on some of the lessons, we'd love to hear from you at eight six six nine eight five four two five five toll free eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine. And that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. The crack, following the path of least resistance, encircled the globe in about two hours. As the crack raced around the earth, the overlying rock crust opened up like a rip in a tightly stretched claw. So the water exploded violently out of the rupture. The Bible even gives us a precise date. The 600th year of Noah's life, the 17th day of the second month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. Then it says, and the rain fell. The fountains of water jetted supersonically into and above the atmosphere. The spray from these enormous fountains produced torrential rain such as the earth has never experienced before or after. And so, again, that's a theory, and, and it's fascinating to me to, to, to look at the different theories. That's just one of many. Sure. But, you know, you, you know you, the geyser in Yellowstone National Park, Old Faithful. Isn't that interesting? You know, that same concept worldwide is what he's saying. Right, You right. know, just, and, and that geyser is like a little pinprick compared yep. to what this is talking about. Oh, yes. But, again, it's a theory and just something that we thought would be interesting to just put on the table. Do I believe that particular theory? I don't know. I really don't know. I just don't understand. All I know is it happened. Yep. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 8, because now the ark has come to rest, a raven has been sent out, but you still have no real firm evidence of, of, of uh, the earth being habitable. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, so she returned to him in the ark. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold... In her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf, so Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out a dove, but she did not return to him again. And it's interesting because you have, you know, sending the raven, you know, after months of sitting, and then you wait seven days, you know, with the dove, you know, three times, Mm -hmm. you get this, this, and then the third time this dove does not come back. But it typifies, it shows us the great patience in waiting for the will of God to continue to unfold. Oh, it really does. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2 is a good verse on that. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So in the case of Noah, he wasn't brought out of a miry pit of destruction, but he was brought out of the deluge of water, so his feet would eventually be set on firm ground to make his footsteps firm. So 
that's the lesson from Noah. That's the, the waiting that he had to do. And it's interesting. He worked his tail off for years and years and years and years and years and years, and years to, to build this ark. Mm-hmm. The, the flood comes, and now you've got to do a lot of waiting. And you go from over-exertion uh, in terms of building to just maintaining and waiting. And he never ran ahead of the Lord. Yes, what an example. Right. Didn't say, look, I'm sick of being in here. Let's I'm out of here. Break down the door. We'll find a way. He waited for the signals to be exactly in place. And again, for those of us who claim righteousness in God, by God's grace through Jesus, do we have that same patience to wait on the Lord? To do his will, not our own. For his guidance and his release from whatever the experience is. Not our own. Not our own decision. I, I'm, I'm sick of this. But I'm waiting on the Lord. So, we continue in Genesis chapter 8, picking up with uh, verse 14. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing, that they may breed abundantly on the earth, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. So here it is. Free at last. Free at last. Now, look, you've been cooped up in this boat for about a year. Wow. All right? And you've been through this amazing series of events and circumstances. And now you're finally free. Celebrate. That's right. Party. What, What would you do? What would be what? No, would, I don't w- think celebration and party was the thing that was done. <laughs> but you know that that's the human nature. Yeah, it is. Okay, but what does Noah do? What's the first thing recorded in Scripture that he does? Well, let's go to verse. Uh, what verse are we on? Verse twenty. Twenty. I knew that. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself. I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So it's interesting. What Noah does is he offers burnt offerings. He builds an altar. He thanks God. Right. He honors God. So what, what did Noah do during the times of preparation? He built He built the ark for salvation. What does he do when salvation has proven clear and and, and full and complete? He builds, but he builds an altar. And he builds the altar to say thank you. And he takes a... And and Jonathan, he doesn't just give a sacrifice. It says he gives a sacrifice of every clean animal. And every clean bird. So you have this sense of he is... This is a time-consuming event. This is yeah. This is a long thank you and honoring right. God. And when you have such a long thank you, it reflects the length and the breadth of the righteousness that was within Noah. It really does his dedication and his faith to say, "You have preserved us against all odds, and all I can do is thank you with everything that you've given us." And it's just it's a beautiful, beautiful lesson. Let's continue in Psalms forty. Three and yes, four. I knew that. <laughs> he, 
He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. See, there was no lapsing on the part of Noah here. No, there wasn't. He has this new song in his mouth. And it's a song of praise for God, and it's shown through the sacrifices. So this brings us to our fifth lesson of Noah. What is it? Tread upon the road of obedience with a heart to sacrifice. The road of obedience should bring us to that place of continual sacrifice Sounds and thanksgiving. Like the Christian pathway, doesn't it? It does. And how are we doing? Are we walking that pathway in our obedience to God? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? Coming up, we know about the rainbow, but what else changed for Noah and the earth? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, what can we learn from Noah? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And if you'd like to write us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. All right, good. Thank you for that. And, uh, Jonathan, let's get back to our story. Let's get back to Genesis chapter 9. Now, so the flood is over. The flood has come and gone. Uh, Everybody is out of the ark, and they're going down the mountain, and they've offered up sacrifices of thanksgiving uh, to to show God that they are uh, with him, and they they are thankful for his deliverance through this very, very, very earth-changing experience, literally world-changing experience. Genesis 9, verses 1 to 3. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So God, now remember, God's spirit is no longer striving with man. Okay, so it's a different world than it was. Right. Okay, you had angelic uh, oversight, if you will, up until this point. Now, some of that angelic oversight strayed off and became uh, evil and dark. We know that. Yes. But now it's different. There's, there's a different world. So, so the first thing is, uh, there's no more angelic influence as a buffer. Now, all is truly left in the hands of mankind. That's the first point. What's the next point? God blesses them and gives the blessing to be fruitful and multiply. Doesn't that sound just like in the Garden of Eden? It does. So it's, again, starting new and starting fresh. What else? A different dominion. This time, mankind is dominant over the animal kingdom. Now, mankind had dominion over the animal kingdom before this. Right. But it's different now. And why is it different? Because the last verse that you read, verse 3, it says, Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. For I give all to you as I gave the green plant in Eden. This is interesting. There's so, a change here. Yes. and the So it looks like that animals were not food for humans before the flood. But here it is given them. Right. 
Interesting. So it's a different kind of dominion. You have no longer angelic oversight, if you will, and now you have this 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 dominion that involves meat. So it, it's a it, it's a little bit of a different world. So now the animals will have fear of humans because yes. of that. Right. Interesting. Let, let's continue. Genesis uh, nine verses eight to fifteen. Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, "Now behold, I myself." to establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. Of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. All right, so now... God is a God of promise. God is a God of life. God is a God of resurrection. We know all of these things. And here he's saying it. Now I establish my promise, my covenant with you and with your descendants and my promise with every living creature. So this is not just a promise given to one man, Noah. No, it's not. Or to one man, Noah, and his family. No. But to all of the earth, all of the world. Wow, all generations. Right, that, and so there is a very, very, very significant uh, um, breadth to the promise of God here. In spite of all the changes, God is true to his promise to be the God of life. And, uh, Jonathan, why don't we go to the, the phones first, and then we'll go back to Wendy Talbot. All right, well, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have Wisdom 10.4. When on his account the earth was flooded... Wisdom again saved it, piloting the righteous man on frailest wood. Noah lived in a world of violence, selfishness, broken values, and bloodshed. But he, but he listened to the voice of God and built a safe structure, the ark. He did not despair. He trusted. John seventeen fifteen. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. The Christian's trust in the voice of God is his ark. In a dangerous world, we can create our safety within his word. One can imagine that Noah did not steer the ark during the flood. We likewise listen to God and let him guide us through the storm. 2 Peter eleven twelve. What sort of persons ought you to be, conducting yourselves in holiness and devotion, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God? Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. And, and you know, that last, that last verse, I think, is very significant. You know, what manner of persons ought you to be in all your holy, the King James says conversation, but the word is conduct. Mm-hmm. How are you acting? in the context of the the degradation of the world around you. That's what the the verse in Peter is talking about. Are you Uh, standing up like Noah? Right, and and we have the example of how to act in the account of Noah himself. So, uh, Randall, thanks for those those thoughts. Very, very appropriate. The ark was a structure, a faith structure, and I like that that phrase. So, Jonathan, we have God giving his covenant to Noah, his family, and to all of the earth. Yes, and it, it's a it's a it's a wonderful wonderful promise. What is that covenant? What is that promise? Let's go back to Wendy Talbot. Uh, the song now is the open sea, uh, talking about this covenant.
simple. I set my bow in the sky, my promise to the end of time. And when and I know it's probably the same with you. Whenever I see a rainbow, it's exactly what I think of. Oh yes, exactly what I think of. And and you think of the the, the drama behind that, and that gives you a sense that God is there, and there there. God is a God of promise. And even though the world is in such a disastrous mess right now at this very moment, the God of promise has given us evidences through time that he hasn't forgotten us. And the rainbow is one of those evidences. Folks, if you have a thought, now would absolutely be the time. Last call, in other words, 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And if you'd like to email us, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.net. So, Jonathan, let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 9 and the description of what Wendy Talbot just sang about. God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Okay, a covenant between me and the earth, not just Noah. So the, the, the lesson, Jonathan, just one quick lesson, Noah's righteousness saves the earth and, may, and, 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 and God makes a promise based on Noah's righteousness. Sounds just like Jesus in his righteousness and his ransom, oh. redeeming not only all mankind, but the earth as well. Good point. Just a, just a little prophetic meaning. And we're going to get more prophetic on this, obviously not today because we're almost out of time, but uh, another program. We're going to look at Noah the Ark uh, from a purely prophetic standpoint because there's a lot of fascinating lessons. Let's continue in Genesis chapter 9. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. All right, so again, when God gives the promise, it's very well explained here. It's not something that he just sort of flippantly says and moves on to the next thing. Right. He goes through it again and again. Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Knowing, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So again, the theme, at the, at the beginning of this hour, Jonathan, the quote, that remember the guy's name was four miles long? Yes. But the quote was, <laughs> valor is superior to number. Yes. And the Deuteronomy scripture verifies the same thing. God did not choose Israel because they were more, uh, they were more multitudinous than other, other, other nations. No, they were fewest. They were smaller. He chose them because of their potential for faithfulness through Father Abraham. That, and that's what God looks for. He doesn't look for the big, big, big numbers. He looks for the big, big, big quality of faithfulness in the few. Valor is superior to number. That's one of the main lessons here from the story of Noah. Uh, Jonathan, we have just a, a few minutes left. So uh, if the rainbow was a symbol of God's everlasting promise, then how much more powerful is the redemptive power of Jesus' blood? His blood, his blood redeemed the earth. And, you know, we, we always talk about 
the, the, the thought, the concept that Jesus' blood redeemed mankind. Right. And that's absolutely, positively, unequivocally true. As in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. But his blood did even more than that. Luke twenty two forty four. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like blood, drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So he bled literally upon the earth. Oh. And that bleeding upon the earth was the application of the blood of Jesus to the earth, as well as to all mankind. So we see that the picture of Noah is picturing some much bigger thing. Now look, a, 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 a worldwide deluge, pretty big. Yes. But eternal salvation is even bigger. Oh yeah. And Noah is showing us the way to understand how that salvation works. Jesus' blood not only he not only bled upon the earth, and he not only shed his blood for mankind, but he shed his blood for all things. First John two two. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So everybody is included here. Everybody's part of the the redemptive price of Jesus, and that's what the picture of Noah is showing us. It's showing us that we can find God's favor through faithfulness. So so as we begin to wrap this up, let, let's just mention our, our, our last lesson, our sixth lesson from the story of Noah. Walk with God. Hear his bidding. Do his bidding with all that you possess. Preach and live righteousness. Bear up under trial and receive his covenant. So you notice that the, the, the lesson is not walk with God and receive his covenant. No. Walking with God is, what, what happens is when we walk with God, then we're going to be listening to him. And then we're going to be doing what we've heard. And we're not only going to be doing it haphazardly or, you know, just on Sundays, but we'll be living it. That's the point. That's the point. That's what the story of Noah is. It's a story of living righteousness no matter what the world around you says does or thinks and with the story of noah it's so important for us to realize that in spite of the odds being entirely against him because he was the only man to stand for god in his time and for years and years and years he was still the only man to stand for god in his time god delivered him because that was his promise folks where are you in your walk with Christ? Are you willing to be the only man or woman to stand for God through Christ, no matter what the circumstances are outside of you? There to be a Noah in your time, in your life. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed being with you. I want to encourage you to go to ChristianQuestions.com and to like us on Facebook and all of that. Till next week, what can we learn from Noah? How to live our Christian lives. That's what. Till next week, think about it.